It is good to be with you this morning online. It's always a joy to be gathered together as the people of God in this place. So thank you for choosing to allow us to worship with you now. It is truly our joy. This morning, our reading will come again from 1 John, from 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 12, where John writes these words to us. Beloved, do not believe in every spirit. Do not, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many pro- false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know that the Spirit of God. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming. It is now already in the world. Little children. You are from God, and you have conquered them. For the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they do not, therefore for what they say is from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens, whoever knows God listens to us, and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. For this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. For whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world that we may live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. But love, since God loved us so much, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives on us. This love is perfected in us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Tests are interesting things. I think back in my life on some of the biggest academic tests that I have. And there, there, there's two classes I can think of in particular in my life where testing was a big deal. One of which was a class in seminary, um, United Methodist History and Doctrine. It's a class required for all. Um, United Methodist to take for ordination. Dr. Barry Bryant was our teacher, and he was probably my favorite teacher I've ever had. Well, one of my favorite teachers I've ever had. And Dr. Bryant was very Wesleyan. Like he, he probably, he has forgotten more about John Wesley than most of us will ever know. So um, Dr. Bryant really tried to pattern his class after how the early Methodists lived and breathed and existed. And part of that was in the way Wesley trusted in God's Provenience and God's sovereignty and God's uh, providence. Wesley was a big believer in God's providence. So Wesley and the early Methodists would often cast lots for certain things. And casting lots in our context would be very much like rolling dice. So this is how Dr. Bryant would teach. He would, we would have notebooks upon notebooks upon notebooks upon notebooks filled with information. Wesley's sermons, Wesley's theology, the whole nine yards. We, we would have all of it there. And we would um, have been studying all semester. And we really, his class really only had two tests, a midterm and a, and a finals. And he would have you, basically, he would give you the 12 answers that are on the test, 12 questions on the test. He'd say, okay, guys, here's your questions, all 12 of them. And we'd know them. And it would basically be everything we studied the entire semester. Like, basically, he should have just said, your test is all of your notes. Be ready to give them back to me. So we would study. And this is how we take the test. The day of the, day of the test would come in. He'd give us, some of you, you may remember those little blue notebooks you'd write in. He'd give us a blue notebook. We'd have three 
questions on the test. He would take a dice. He would roll it three times. And the numbers that came up were the questions of the test. So we had no clue going into the test. We knew it could be anything over the course of the semester, and we had to be prepared for any of it. And then we'd take the test, and we'd write till our hands hurt, and we would leave exhausted. So I remember that test in history and doctrine. The other test I remember was always my test for quantum mechanics at Mississippi College. In that, in that um, class, we had the scientific calculators that were basically were small computers that you could program in formulas for. And the teacher said, you can use on the test as much of your notes as you can program into your calculator. So we would spend the corresponding weeks getting ready for the test by just trying to type in, back in the olden days for these calculators, type in as much of our notes as we could, as we could possibly get in there and then take the test and then fail the test. Um, my final in quantum mechanics, and thankfully Dr. Major's graded on a curve, my final test in there, I made a 45. And that was a C. That's really all you need to know. And I've probably never been prouder of a grade in my entire life than making a 45 on that final and having it, having it uh, curved up to a C. I was quite proud of, of that. Tests are interesting, aren't they? Tests show us what we know. That's why we take tests or why we're supposed to take tests is to prove our knowledge and to prove what we know. You take tests in schools to show what you know. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you just cram the last minute to get it in there. And, you know, you cram it and then you usually forget it and you move on. That's a lot of life, isn't it? You take the test, you cram for it, and then you move on. Some, some, some tests stick with you, though, um, like the ones for Dr. Bryant and Dr. Majors. But th that information, well, the Wesley stuff stuck with me, but uh, not so much for quantum mechanics. In high school, our senior English teacher had us memorize the Canterbury Tales and do all that stuff that you do in English. And uh, I don't remember much of it, but I do remember one that appeared with this shower suit. The droughts of March had pierced it to the root, and by the divine and switched to the core. You know, I remember half the Canterbury Tales. I don't remember which half. I just remember them. They're stuck up here. Now, I can't tell you what I have for breakfast this morning, but I can tell you about the Canterbury Tales in 1994 in Bogota. Tests are interesting. We see in the text today a notion of testing. John says, he starts off by saying, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God. Test the spirits. That sounds difficult. One of the things in life I, I try to test, test the spirits to see if they're true or not. One of the, the lessons I've tried to learn in life is this. I try to take, you know, who, who amongst us likes to be criticized? <laughs> who amongst us like to be corrected? I know I don't. I'm always right. Just ask me, I'll tell you. But I've tried to learn in life the discipline to when faced with correction or criticism, not just ignore it, but to take it and hold it up to the light and see What's valid there? Is there anything that I can learn from this? We're told today in this passage to test the spirits. 
Well, how do we test them? How do, how do we test these spirits that we're told to test? I had, a, I had a, a friend who worked in the bank for a long time, and they talked about how they had to always take the dollar bills and hold it up to the light and look for that little, uh, little strip there to make sure it wasn't a counterfeit. I take criticisms and I hold it up to the light to see what's there I can learn. The way we test the spirits is we also hold it up to the light. But the light that we're holding it up to isn't an actual halogen or LED light. But the light that we hold the spirits up to is that light of Jesus Christ. Because we're told here in the text, it says, it says, it says that we're to test every spirit. But verse, verse 2 says, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. He, he is the light that we, owe, what we hold all things up to and test them by. There's a, there's a great uh, song by my favorite musician, Rich Mullins, entitled Hard. Um, it goes, well, I am a good Midwestern boy. I'd give an honest day's work if I can get it. I don't cheat on my taxes. I don't cheat on my girl. I got values that would make the White House jealous. When I do get a little bunch overimpressed, I think of Peter and Paul and the apostles. I don't stack up too well against them, I guess, but by the standards around here, I ain't doing that awful. You know, it's hard to be a man of peace. It's hard to bless another that's cursed you. It's hard to turn the other cheek. Lord, it's hard. It's hard to be like Jesus. Jesus is the light that we hold these spirits up to. Jesus is the light that we test all things by. Jesus is the light of the world by which we test all things. Does it glorify Jesus? Does it point others to him? Is it an example of his love? An example of his mercy? Example of his grace? Example of his goodness? Does this spirit, does this temptation, does this thought? Because see, here's the thing, y'all. Not all spirits are good. Not all thoughts are good. Not all impulses are good. Not all emotions are good. Not all things are good, y'all. There are things that are wrong. There are thoughts that we think that are not truth. I know I deal with that a lot. There are emotions that we feel that are not good, that are not of God. I know I deal with that a lot. We all have different things that come into our heads and come into our hearts and come into our lives that may even feel good. They may feel righteous. They may feel holy. They may feel great. But the scripture says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see where they come from. Well, what is the test that we test them by? Jesus. Jesus. That thought that you think, does it glorify Jesus? Does it point others to Jesus? Does it direct your life to Jesus? That emotion that you feel, does it glorify Jesus? Does it point others to Jesus? 
Does it direct your heart to Jesus? Test the spirits. Test the spirits. I don't know if you are joining us on Wednesday nights on our website and on Facebook Live for our Wednesday night Bible studies. But if you are, last week was an interesting, I don't know, it was an interesting study to me because we're looking through James. I, I love James. James is just such a good book of the Bible. So interesting. Um, it personally calls me out a lot. I can feel real holy and proper till I really read James and I realize I got a long ways to go before I'm sanctified. But the thing that stuck with me is in this week we're reading in chapter two where he talks about keeping the law. And he says, you know that if you have transgressed in one area of the law, then you have transgressed in all the law. So if you say, don't commit murder, great. But then you commit adultery, well, then you violated all the law. So his point is, we can't just fixate, if we're going to hold to the law, we can't just fixate on the parts of the law that we get right. Because I'm good, man, I love to fixate where I'm right. I can, I can plow that ground all day long. But he says this, he says, he says, if you violate one part of the law, you violated all the law. And do we strive to keep the highest ideal of the law, what he calls the royal law, which is to love God. And love your neighbor. Do we keep that part of the law? What if? I mean, think about how legalistic we are in life. At least I am. It's, it's funny. We, me and Holly were talking about this one day. Um, I don't know. Me and my friend John Burning were talking about this one day. How a lot of times the way we were raised in our, our in, in maybe not even what we were taught. But what we internalize at a young age forms us. And I don't know that I was ever, in fact, I know that I was not verbally taught to be, a, to be a Pharisee. But somehow in my early faith, I became one. Became very legalistic. And it's silly ways that plays out. Like I said, I was never taught this. Bill Poole was my preacher growing up for most of my childhood. You know, Brother Bill didn't teach me anything stupid. So, but somehow I picked it up. That Christians aren't supposed to gamble. So Christians aren't supposed to play cards. Now, I was never taught down and told, Andy, don't play cards. Don't play cards. But guess what? Somewhere along the line, I learned you shouldn't play cards. So I don't know any card games. Folks say, want to play spades? I'm like, I don't know how to play it. Want to play bridge? I don't know how to play it. Like, I just, at an early age, internalized, don't play cards. I don't think that's the point of the law. I really don't think that's what Moses is talking about or what Jesus is talking about. If we're not careful, we can slide into real legalism or real, fair, or real, or, or, or real fair, Phariseeism. At least I can. The Ten Commandments are... Uh, much like our creeds. It's a simple way to teach us the essentials of the faith, the essentials, essentials of our moral code. But if you take the Ten Commandments and distill them down, you're going to come out with loving your neighbor, 
loving your God and loving your neighbor. Because if you love God, you're going to keep his name holy. If you love God, you're going to honor the Sabbath. If you love God, you're going to worship no gods before him. You're going to have no idols. Well, if you love your neighbor, you're not going to murder your neighbor. You're not going to commit adultery with your neighbor. You're not going to covet your neighbor's possessions. You're not going to, you're not going to give false witness to your neighbor. I mean, so loving our God and loving our neighbor really is the distillation of the Ten Commandments. And that's why James calls it the royal law. And that is the teachings that Jesus teaches us about here in the end here. And I think that's so important. Because if you think somebody's doing wrong, yelling at them is not going to change them. Just going to embitter them. Judging them is probably not going to change them. Just going to embitter them. Make them dig their hills in worse. But loving them might. Not, not condoning. Not condoning sinful actions. Not condoning things that violate the teachings of Scripture. No, I'm not, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying looking past the action and seeing the person for whom Christ died beneath it. Because we're told to love folks, and I want to love folks into heaven. I do. I want to love them into heaven. That's what Jesus tells us to do. So I have to love them for their sake, because how else will they know the good news of Jesus? And I don't want to create enemies. I want to create brothers and sisters in Christ. I love them. And likewise, loving them releases me from my pain and my anguish because if I embitter my heart against people, then I just embitter my heart and I've blocked myself off from God's grace in many ways. So loving them as Jesus, as John tells us to here today, it gives them a pathway forward to freedom and it gives us a pathway forward to freedom. And if the Son has set you free, then you are free indeed, is what, free indeed is what the Scriptures tell us. So we hold these spirits up to the light and say, does this spirit glorify Christ? Does this spirit make me holy? Does this spirit push me towards God's holiness? Does this spirit push me towards loving my God and loving my neighbor with all that I am? Does this spirit push me? Does this emotion push me? Does this thought push me towards glorifying God and loving Christ? Does this emotion, this spirit, this thought, this feeling, this gut, just because I think it doesn't mean it's from God. Just because I feel it doesn't mean it's from God. Just because it rushes through my head does not mean it's from God. Take these things up. Hold them to the light of Christ and say, does this emotion, spirit, thought glorify Christ? Does this emotion, spirit, thought cause me to obey his word better? Does this cause me to be a better pastor or Christian or husband or father or friend? And if it doesn't, then it's not from God. We submit, must submit all of these things to God. We see today what it tells us 
Little children, this is verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have already conquered them. For the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Sometimes our tests show us what we don't know. (laughs) If I ever had any any misgivings of being a world-class chemist, quantum mechanics took care of that for me real quick. Sometimes I'll fail the test. And then I'm thankful for what we're told there. We've already defeated the world and defeated the spirits because we're not doing it. But Jesus is doing it. Greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. Not greater is me. Greater is he who's in us. For he has already won the battle. I know I'm not going to speak for you, for the choir or Tim or Brian or anybody or Jamie. But I've been about, about the end of my rope the last few weeks. You just see the division, the death, the discord. As a pastor, you push. And you think, are you pushing for the right reasons or are your pushings even working? And it's real easy to get discouraged. Real easy. Real easy. But then I remember, greater is in who, he who's in me than he who's in the world. So when I get discouraged, I'm going to cling to Jesus. When I get frustrated, I'm going to cling to Jesus. When I get defeated, I'm going to cling to Jesus. When I feel like giving up, I'm going to cling to Jesus. When I get angry, I'm going to cling to Jesus. When I get happy, I'm going to cling to Jesus. In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. And when I come to die, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. We must submit the Spirit's to him. We must submit the emotions we feel towards him. We must submit our thoughts to him. For he has overcome the world. And see, that's the thing about the tests we face, y'all. These tests we face, guess what? They're an open book test. You got your book right here in front of you. It's an open book test. You got all the notes you need. Boy, I love to get open. Oh, I love to get open note, open book test. I love that open notebook test. My only problem was my handwriting was so bad I couldn't read my notes. So I had to borrow Holly's notes half the time. But the test we face in life, y'all, it's an open book test. We got it right here. He's got to open it up. Greater is he who's in us than he who is in the world. May we test the spirits. May we test the emotions. May we test the thoughts. May we test it all. May we hold it up to his light. And may we do all things in life to glorify our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray.